Welcome back to another episode of Culture Bucket. We are on episode number seven, I believe. Seven. Is that right, Alex? Yes, number seven. Number seven. So that is seven weeks of culture that's been filling our buckets. Very exciting stuff. Uh, this week, we are going to be looking at international animated films. That will be our top five for today. <clears throat> First of all, we're going to do our culture catch up. Yes, so, indeed we are. This is culture catch up time. This is where we talk about what we've watched, what we've read, what we've listened to, and probably some other stuff. So, Alex, my wonderful co-host, would you like to start? Yes. Um, I haven't been very busy with my culture this week, uh, but um, I've watched a couple of films, a couple of Japanese films. Okay. Um, one uh, is called Kikujiro. Kikujiro. Uh, yeah, uh, a film from 1999, which is uh, written, directed, and starring um, Takeshi Kitano. Do you oh, know him? Okay, I've heard of Takeshi Kitano, yeah, but I don't know so, him too well. Yeah, he's a, he's a very prominent um, Japanese actor, comedian, and he, if you want to put a name to the, a face to the name, he is the guy in Battle Royale, the, the teacher in Battle Royale. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. And also he uh, was uh, part, he was in Takeshi's Castle. Well, he was Takeshi in Takeshi's Castle. Do you know Takeshi's right. Castle? Oh, of Which course I know Takeshi's Castle. I loved Takeshi's Castle. And yeah. uh, in Italy, it was super popular. And if nobody knows about Takeshi's Castle, it's this Japanese program where people have to <laughs> go through um, an obstacle course, uh, an impossible obstacle course, uh, to then fight Takeshi uh, to get into Takeshi's Castle. But yeah. I've never seen anybody win. Nobody ever defeated Takeshi. No, because the ending was so. They'd all. Would they put them in little tanks or were the bad yeah, guys? Yeah, they were in little tanks. tanks. <laughs> yeah, and they yeah. had to like shoot these things down, but I've never seen anybody win. No, it just it seemed was... completely impossible. And then the obstacle horses they'd make them run through as well were just absolute madness. Do you remember the one with yeah. the. They'd have to get from one side of a grid to the other and there'd be all these doors. Mm. And some of the doors would open and some wouldn't. And yeah. there were also two big burly <laughs> men in the middle of it that would just yeah. chase you and try and they... shove you out. So in Italy, did it have um, Italian dubbing on it? Did it have like commentary? Yeah, and it was Ita- it was um, a couple of comedians that were doing commentary. Yeah, and we called it banzai. Okay, yeah, because yeah. in in the UK it was. Have you ever seen Red Dwarf? Uh, yes, do you know I Lister have. From that, Craig Charles. Yeah. he mm. did it in the UK. He did the commentary. Oh, did and he? I think Jonathan Jonathan Ross did it as well. I think they've done it at different points. Mm. Um, uh, and I used to I used to watch that with my dinner quite a lot when I was younger. It was really cool. And there's a new one on Netflix called Floor Is Lava. Have you seen that? No, but I would like to watch it. 
Have you seen it's it? It's super, yeah, I have seen it. It's incredibly American. Some of the people on it are very irritating, but it's okay. got that fun Takeshi's Castle vibe about it of like people trying to make absolutely impossible jumps and things. So, uh, yeah, that's worth checking out. Floor is lava. Anyway, tell me more about. Okay, so, well, we couldn't be any further <coughs> from uh, Takeshi's Castle and um, Battle Royale. Um, this is, it's a film about um, this uh, boy who hasn't got any parents and lives with his grandma and spends the summer, uh, well, spends the summer, goes to find his mum uh, with this uh, random guy called Kikujiro. And... Um, this guy off what well, doesn't offer uh, the wife of this guy uh volunteers him to take him to find his mom and um it's the the story of this kid and uh, the adventure with this random guy going to find his mom <laughs> and uh, i don't want to say anything else cuz but it's really nice and uh um I watched it because uh, Joe Hisahishi, um, the composer that does most of the scores for uh, the Ghibli uh, movies, uh, has, did the score for this film. Okay. And uh, there's a beautiful song called Summer. And um, so I heard the song before and I've been wanting to watch this film for a while. And it's just really, really nice. And it reminds you of Japanese summers and the classic heat and the little bells in Japan. You know, when it's summer and the little bells come out and um, they do the game with the watermelon where, you know, you have to crush a watermelon. Oh, classic yeah. summer Japanese game. Uh, game. And yeah. um, it's uh, it's it's a really lovely movie it's really okay. nice and it's interesting to see him uh takeshi kitano the main guy to see him in in a in such a role because he's usually plays a yakuza or he's the bad teacher in uh um battle royale so it's it was nice and he also mm. written the, this film and it's kind of autobiographical about his father who was a gambler and he was an alcoholic and he never had any money and uh, he kind of plays the part of his and father. And what was that called again, sorry? Ah, it was called, it's called Kikujiro. Kikujiro. Okay, Kikujiro. cool. Another yeah. one of your slice of life movies. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm obsessed. I love them. That's fine. I love slice That's, of we all life. have our obsessions. Yeah. What else did yeah. you watch? Yeah, yours is horror, mine is slice of life. Absolutely. I need loveliness in my life. <laughs> and then the next one is a uh, Japanese comedy, which I, I wanted to. I'm all about my slice of life, and so I wanted to watch something a little bit different. So I watched a Japanese comedy called uh, Thermai Romai. Okay. <laughs> and it's about. Um, it's set in ancient Rome. And uh, it's about, it yeah, and it's about uh, the main character, Lucius. Uh, there is a Roman architect and he needs to find a way to make uh, better Roman baths and better architecture for baths in ancient Rome. And uh, it's transported through time to modern day Japan and he sees the Japanese baths there. And then right. he takes that idea back and it's kind of like a film going from past to present and him seeing how things work in Japan now yeah. and how he he brings back these ideas to Rome in the past yeah. um it's it's really silly it's a really silly movie but it, pretty, it, it 
eh? I'm pretty sure I remember seeing posters for it when we used to live in Japan. Yeah, yeah. I remember it looked absolutely bizarre. <laughs> ridiculous. It It's a ridiculous movie, but it's, it's funny and it's entertaining. And I found it really interesting because... Uh, they cast a lot of uh, Japanese actors that look Western yeah. for the Roman part. And so, you know, the, how they say, you know, tall nose and high, high cheekbones. Yeah. But the main characters in the Roman part were Japanese. But the rest of the crew of the cast well, is a Westerner. Okay. Yeah. So it, it was interesting because then they were speaking Japanese during the Roman times. Mm. But then when he transported him, when he traveled through time to go to um, J- Japan, he spoke Latin. <laughs> <laughs> so they kind of managed to not annoy me too much about the right. that. Uh, but no, it's, it, it's, it's interesting. It's funny. It's got... Uh, Japanese slapstick comedy uh it's it's I think I think it's definitely something to watch just to experience something different from Japanese films because yeah. you know when we when we talk about international films we tend to watch kind of very probably the serious ones or the ones that have been to Cannes or uh, yeah, yeah. have have had an uh, an academy award but this is just a everyday normal Japanese comedy and it's 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 interesting and it's it's quite clever actually because yeah. they didn't they they, they <clears throat> instead of having a complete japanese cast they decided that okay this is rome let's make it as roman as possible and so they cast mainly western actors and when they speak japanese they're dubbed so they're speaking i don't know what language they're speaking but they're dubbed in japanese Right. But then the Japanese actors are speaking Japanese. That's like how they used to film spaghetti westerns. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It it does kind of have a feel like that a little bit. Yeah. So no, it was interesting, and I would recommend it. Is a uh, called Thermai Romai. Apparently, there's a t- uh, a Thermai Romai too, but I'll watch it another time. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, and then I started um, listening to. Um, that podcast that you mentioned, Dissect. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to listen to the one, uh, Lemonade. Okay. It's, they really dissect it, don't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes in depth. He, he yeah. pulls apart every second of every single song. Yeah, and uh, this time, I, apparently it's new. I didn't know that, but he's got a co-host now. Oh, I have not, no, I've, yeah, I've not listened to the Lemonade season yet. Yeah, and it, it's it's I'm I'm into episode three or four, and very very interesting, like yeah. different things that I hadn't noticed about the album Lemonade, and how it makes me I didn't think I could appreciate the album more, but maybe with dissect I, I appreciate I appreciate the I appreciate it even more. It's really mm. interesting, and uh, yeah, thank you for your suggestion. No, you're welcome. Yeah, it's definitely the albums. Are like I've listened to his seasons on. Pimper Butterfly and Flower Boy and Blonde mm. and uh, Damn. Mm. And I'm sure there's another one. And yeah, it's definitely deepened my appreciation for all of those albums. And there's stuff that I learned that I think about every time I listen to those albums now. So yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. a great podcast to listen to once you're finished with Culture Bucket. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
yes, and then I finished uh, the Akala book, which I want to I want you oh, to yeah. read it and recommend it, which is uh, called Natives: Race and Class in the Ruins of Empire. Really interesting. It's kind of like I said last week, autobiographical, but there's a lot of history in there that I never knew. And I think it's definitely a good read if anybody wants to read it or wants to know more. And also also from a point of view of somebody that experiences everyday life as a person of colour in the UK, which yeah. is not, not something that I've read before. Yeah. You know, you, you, you can read a lot about uh, racism and about statistics, but um, it's also interesting to kind of have somebody that, talks about their personal experience okay. it's on my list for sure good good so would you like to know what, what culture i've i've been looking into this week alex of course oh good well uh let's start with music because i've not had i've not got much music to uh to talk about i spent a bit of time listening to the new biffy clyro album which How's is called that? A Celebration of Endings. Now, you know that I really like Biffy Clyro because we saw them together at a festival in Japan a few years ago. Did we? We did. They were touring their last album, which is called Ellipsis, and they opened the main stage. They started on the stage and there wasn't many people there, and I was right down the front and you guys were behind me. Um, was I there? You were definitely there, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, it was very, very good. I enjoyed it. What did I have for breakfast? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Liquids. <laughs> yeah. um, and they're a weird band, Biffy Clyro, because every time they release an album, I kind of remember that I love them. And then those periods in between albums coming out, I kind of forget about them almost. It's very strange. Mm. And the new album's had really good reviews. It's got like five out of five from Kerrang! And I think The Independent gave it four out of five and stuff like that. And I've listened to it a couple of times and it, to me, it kind of sounds like Biffy Clyro doing the Biffy Clyro thing again. There's a couple of really good songs mm. in it. The last track is called Cop Syrup and mm. gets really heavy and distorted and screamy. And I kind of like that about them. But then some of the other songs are very ballady and it's not necessarily mm. what I go to Biffy Clyro for. But yeah, um, I'm going to I'm gonna stick with it. And I'm sure by next week I'll love it because it only came out a couple of days ago. So yeah, that's Biffy Clyro's A Celebration of Endings. And other than that, the lead singer of the Manic Street Preachers, and we've talked before about how much I like mm. them, James Dean Bradfield released his first solo album in, I think, 16 years was the last time he wow. did one. He's done one before. This is his second solo album. Mm. And it's called Even in Exile. Uh, it's about the it's a concept album about the life of a Chilean activist or artist called Victor Jara, who I don't know much about, but obviously mm. his life has inspired James Dean Bradfield. And I've only listened to this album once, so I can't say too much about it yet, but I've just started listening to it and it seems very good. It seems very different from the Manix and the lyrics were all written, I think, by the brother of the bassist from the Manic Street Preachers, which is okay. an interesting, interesting pick. It seems very uh, poetical and yeah, just if anyone likes the Manix and they're not aware of it, then check out Evening XL by James Dean Bradfield. It seems like a good album. Uh, very proggy is what I'm hearing. Mm. So yeah, that's music. Other than that, I read quite a bit more of the Walking Dead comic. Mm. I'm now up to the prison, quite a way into the prison. The governor's been introduced. Ooh. And I'm definitely, I've got to a point where I can really see why people like the comic so much mm. and how different it is from the TV show. I, I still think the dialogue between characters is a bit stilted quite a lot of the time. Like they really, yeah. they will just kind of, they will have a conversation over two pages when 
one panel of the comic book would be enough. Like there's a bit where Glenn talks about how he used to steal cars mm. and Rick says, hey, there's, this car didn't have keys in it. How did you get it? And Glenn goes, you didn't think I was just a pizza delivery boy, did you? That's kind of enough. Like so much is said, so much is left unsaid in that sentence that you can infer and understand. Mm. And that's kind of enough. But then there's like three more panels of Glenn going, yeah, I just did it to earn money, make money on the side. I learned from a guy in college. Da, 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 da. And it's like, you don't need to tell us all of that. You just, I don't know. To me, it kind of over explains itself quite a lot. Mm. That's the thing that I kind of don't like about it. What I really like about it is how much he's striving for realism all the time and it. You can mm. really tell that he wants his characters to be kind of making decisions that aren't necessarily decisions a hero would make in a traditional story, but might be the decisions that people would be, be would be making in, in reality if this happened. And I really like that kind of maturity that he pushes for. Like one character asks if uh her if she can get married to Rick and Laurie. Like Carol wants to there's a point where Carol asks if she can marry Rick and Laurie and they can live as like a group mm. of three together mm. and she's a bit like normal rules don't apply anymore society's fallen down etc etc mm. and i could never imagine that conversation happening in a tv show like the tv show is so much more sort of yeah following the standard rules of tv and media and mm. i do appreciate that the comic is going out on its own and doing its own thing mm. um, and i can see maybe why big fans of the comic would be disappointed when the characters don't behave in the tv show like they do in the comic yeah so I've come around it a bit more. I feel like I was probably a bit down on it when I talked about it last week. So I just want to make it a bit clearer this week that I'm I am enjoying it and I can see its appeal above the TV show and why so many people kind of prefer it to the TV show. But mm. I still really like the TV show in terms of you just get a good amount of zombie action and and I think the the gore and the the violence and stuff is well uh, yeah. executed in the uh, in the TV show. So yeah, that's that's that. And then it's time to discuss films I've watched this week, Alex. I have watched 14 films this week. 14 films. It's been a big <laughs> week for films. What? How? Like, uh, sorry, how many do you watch a day? <laughs> well, it's, it's an average of two a day, isn't it, this week? So every day you watch two films. <clears throat> Let's see. Um, I need two, to become better. Two, 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 three, <laughs> two, three. Four, one, I think. Wow. Yeah. So, very quickly, we won't go too in-depth into all of them, but I started off, uh, after I last spoke to you last Sunday, I watched a movie called The Boondock Saints. Have you heard of The Boondock Saints? No. There was it's a cartoon a... called The Boondocks, but other yes. things the same. It's got nothing to do with that, no. It's okay. um, a film... Written and directed by a guy called Troy Duffy. It came out in 1999. Mm. And it stars Norman Reedus, who plays Daryl in The Walking Dead. Mm. Stars Norman Reedus and Sean Patrick Flannery. And Willem Dafoe, in fact, is in it. Billy Connolly is in it as well. But Norman Reedus and uh, Sean Patrick Flannery play two brothers, uh, Irish-American brothers who lived in Boston in America. Mm. And I guess the sort of the plot of the film is that they are inspired to fight evil and they decide to go out and kill Mm. all criminals, basically, in Boston. Willem Dafoe plays the FBI agent investigating the crimes. It sort of came out in that time when... 
Quentin Tarantino had made it really big and people were looking for the next Quentin Tarantino and Mm. Troy Duffy was maybe the Quentin Tarantino, the new Quentin Tarantino, and he wrote this script and got, you know, uh, initially Miramax brought the script, meaning Harvey Weinstein brought the script. Yeah. Uh, But then they ended up not making it and somebody else had to make it for less money and it it took a while to come out, um, but it eventually did come out. And let me tell you, I hated it so much. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever disliked a film as much as this. It is so inutterably terrible. I couldn't conceive of it. I had my head in my hands at one point. It was a thing where... Is it, it like sh- as bad as uh, Batman v Superman? It's worse than that. No! It's awful. <laughs> it's, it's, the characters in it just scream and yell at each other so much that it, it made me feel sick by the end of the film with the amount of shouting that was going on. Oh. It, it has a bit where the brothers will walk into a room to, you know, kill a bunch of Russian gangsters or something. And then it will suddenly, as they walk into the room, it will cut and show Willem Dafoe arriving at the crime scene afterwards. And then Willem Dafoe will be like, well, here's what happened. They came into the room. And then it will show the scene being reenacted while Willem Dafoe is describing it kind of thing. Oh. And it's a very Pulp Fiction-y sort of trying to, you know, mess with time Mm. and and tell a story in a non-linear way. It does that exact thing, I think, three or maybe four times over the course Mm. of the film. By the final time it happened, I had my head in my hands. I I was just... (laughs) Un- unforgivably awful uh, but it's it's developed this reputation as a bit of a cult movie and some people really really like it and I decided I wanted to check it out and just couldn't couldn't believe how much I disliked this film wow. um, so yeah please don't watch The Boondock Saints the next day I watched um, a film from I believe the 50s mm-hmm. from 1959 directed by William Castle uh, starring Vincent Price called House on Haunted Hill Okay. Uh, which is an early ghost story. It's like an hour and ten minutes long or something. It's quite short, and it's really, really fun uh, if you like mm. a kind of goofy, silly ghost. It's, it's like the ghost movie equivalent of a haunted house at a fairground. You know, it's not mm. trying to be big and clever. It's just trying to be silly and fun. And yeah, so I like that yeah. House on Haunted Hill, I'd recommend. It's like out of... It doesn't have any... It's like in the public domain, so it's really easy to watch Amazon have it and stuff. So I'd recommend it for a bit of fun. Then I watched a documentary called Overnight. Do you know what Overnight is about, Alex? No. Overnight is the story of Troy Duffy and how he destroyed his own career in his attempts to make the Boondock Saints. <laughs> okay. Was so, it good? Uh, it's pretty, it's kind of interesting. It's a really fascinating story. You know, he's working in this bar in Hollywood and he sells this script to Harvey Weinstein and it makes this huge public splash because Harvey Weinstein buys the bar for him and stuff like this and you know it's kind of this like rags to riches story and he's yeah. going to make this film he's going to be the new Quentin Tarantino yeah. and then over the court and he, he he was so convinced of his own massive success mm. that he asked two of his friends to make a documentary and record <gasps> <No>. <laughs> yeah, the process of him making the film and throughout the documentary you see um kind of him destroying his own career. There's a bit where he just talks about how he thinks Keanu Reeves is a punk and I'd never let him be in one of my movies and Kenneth <gasps> Branagh can uh, piss off and all of this. No. And he goes for all these actors he thinks are terrible. He ends up with Willem Dafoe, who's a, who's an amazing actor, but just is debasing himself in The Boondock Saints. It's it's so sad to see. Billy Connolly as well. 
And the scenes in the documentary where Billy Connolly is talking to Troy Duffy, and you could tell Billy Connolly really, really likes him and wants him to succeed. And I'm just, it's just mm. like, why, Billy? You seem like such a lovely man. Why do you like this guy? He's horrible. <laughs> because he's a lovely man. But Troy Duffy is not a lovely man. Oh. No, but Billy Colin- Connolly is. Yeah, yeah, Of course yeah, he wants he to, like, root for the underdog. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, but, oh. Um, and yeah, he's just, it shows him on the phone to all these producers, destroying his career. Eventually, Miramax disown him and can blacklist the film. He has to get it made for like half the money. There's a scene where they finally have, have made the film. They take it to Cannes Film Festival and he's like, we're going to get at least $10, $12 million for this. Nobody buys it. <laughs> Nobody wants anyone to do it. <laughs> oh, um, no. He's in a band. He's convinced that the, he gets the band to do the soundtrack. He's convinced that the band is going to be even bigger than the film. The film isn't that big. The band is like nothing. Like They made a, they made one album and it sold like 600 copies or something. And then what did Harvey Weinstein say to him to make him believe himself so much? Well, exactly. There's a bit on the way he's on the phone to Harvey Weinstein. He's like, you're the only man that's ever come to me and told me he believes in me. Oh, it's, it's just... And it's hard to watch yeah. it now because obviously it's got these bits where characters kind of talk about how much they dislike Harvey Weinstein and other characters are like, yeah, you can't say that. You'll get... Uh, now, anyway, oh. he's, he's awful. He's the worst man. Everyone hates him, obviously, because he's, he's terrible. Yeah. But in this film, he's kind of... It's back when he was sort of People were terrified of him, so that's quite interesting to see. So anyway, that was Overnight. Okay. The, the thing with Overnight overall is that Troy Duffy is a is a terrible filmmaker. His two friends that he asked to make this documentary are kind of pretty bad filmmakers as well. So it's a pretty fascinating story. It's interesting to watch, but it's actually quite a bad film. Like, it's not a well-made documentary, uh, unfortunately. I, I wanted to like it a lot more than I did, but, uh, mm. but yeah, there we go. Then I watched um, I, the, the next one of films, I should probably explain. I've been listening to a new podcast that I found called The Evolution of Horror, hmm. which is a guy um, who works at the BFI, I think, who goes through, um, is trying to tell the story of or the history of the horror genre in film by going through all the different subgenres. So the first hmm. season, which I've listened to, was on slasher movies, hmm. uh, which I've seen loads of slasher films. So that was really cool to listen to and really interesting like he starts way back at like uh, Black Christmas and stuff and even earlier than that Psycho all the way yeah. up to like It Follows in the modern day it was a really interesting listen the second season which is what I've kind of been listening to this week was on ghost stories mm. so you asked me at the start of the <laughs> when we started Skyping today if I was tired and I am tired because I've struggled to sleep all week because I've been watching so many ghost stories and wow. they terrify me. Are they? The one type of horror that I find genuinely scary. But I really like it because of that. But yeah, it's uh, been okay. an interesting week. So I've been listening to the history of ghost stories. And as such, I've watched a bunch of ghost films. So starting with The Stone Tape. Okay. Which is from 1972, mm. I believe. Yeah, 1972. It was written by a guy called Nigel Neal, who mm. um, wrote Quake Mass in the Pit back in the, you know, 60s i think he wrote quite my stuff and uh, is kind of quite famous and this is meant to be quite an iconic ghost story it was like a tv film it's an hour and a half long it's about a group of scientists that go into a building and they're trying to like find a new way of recording stuff like it's set in the 70s so like they're trying mm. to come up with a new vhs tape essentially um and they they go into this room that hasn't been done up properly for them and one of the scientists the the woman scientist because i found out watching ghost stories this week that women are always the ones just uh, portrayed as hysterical and able to see the ghosts and stuff so she sees a ghost in this room and they they kind of realize that it's not actually a ghost it's like a recording of a thing that happened in history so they get this idea that maybe 
events are saved or somehow stored in the rock of the room. Mm. So they just they they think that this is their new recording medium that they've discovered. If you see what I mean, mm. um, which is quite an interesting idea for a ghost story, and it could be quite scary if it wasn't for the fact that every single character spends the entire film screaming their lines at each other at the top of their voices. <laughs> the main guy is so obnoxious and irritating that it just was impossible to focus on anything being scary because you were just thinking the entire time that you didn't want to listen to this idiot screaming at people anymore. Mm. Um, but quite interestingly, The League of Gentlemen definitely have watched this film because Reese Shearsmith from The League of Gentlemen, a lot of his characters seem really inspired by this character in the stone tape. They're quite similarly kind of obnoxious, yelly people. <laughs> but where The League of Gentlemen stuff is often meant to be funny and comical the stone mm. tape you meant to take seriously so i didn't really see it as that brilliant but it was an interesting thing to watch i followed that up with something called whistle and i'll come to you have you ever seen whistle and i'll come to you no i don't it, i don't watch ghost <laughs> stuff you know that <laughs> it's it's from 1968 mm. it's in black and white because it was a t- it was a british tv production back in the 60s a lot of those were still in black and white um it's an adaptation of an M.R. James ghost story. He's this guy who's really famous for having written loads of ghost stories in the UK. And it's about a academic who goes to stay in a guest house in East Anglia and sort of spends the day going on walks and finds a whistle in a graveyard and takes it back home with him. And inadvertently... <laughs> That's already bad, isn't it? <laughs> Don't take any whistles from any graveyards. Leave inadvertently, a, a sort of an evil force or a... a, a a, an, un, an unpleasant force of some kind uh, attaches itself to him as a result and not a lot happens in it it's only about 40 minutes long it's barely really a film but it's it's one of the most terrifying things i've ever seen in my entire life it absolutely freaked me out it is so scary um it's available on amazon yeah it's available on amazon for like a pound or something you can you can get it on amazon uh video it's worth watching anyone who's interested in ghost stories if you haven't seen it it, it it's so old, and the special effects in it barely are barely existent, but they're they're so effective. It's a it's a brilliant it's a masterclass in how to create atmosphere mm. and terror from from very very little. The main actor in it is is absolutely fantastic as well, and really sells uh, the kind of experience that the character goes through. He's called Michael Horden. But interestingly, mm. he was the voice of uh, Badger in the Wind in the Willows cartoon I used to watch when I was a kid. <laughs> um, yeah, whistle, I'll come to you. Absolutely terrifying. Okay. Uh, then I'll, I'll go for some of these a bit more quickly. I watched a film called The Entity from the 80s, which is about a woman who is being periodically, let's say, assaulted by a, a ghost or a force of some form. And no one will believe her. And eventually a psychiatrist tries to convince her it's all in her head, but she manages to convince some other people that it's real. And they sort of try it. And it's almost like an early Ghostbusters, but mm. it's much more explicit than Ghostbusters is. <laughs> It's got some really unpleasant, intense scenes. It's quite a difficult film to watch, but it was really good. Um, Martin Scorsese put it on his list of the 11 scariest films he's ever seen. Okay. Um, and yeah, brilliant film, The Entity. Uh, if you're interested in those kind of movies, look it up, but be prepared for quite a, an adult, mature film. But uh, yeah, it's good. Barbara Hershey plays the woman in it, and it's, a, it's the kind of film where so much is happening to one character. If that character's actor wasn't up to the job, it wouldn't work, but her, she is mm. absolutely... She sells every single scene. However ridiculous what she's having to act out seems, she sells it completely, and it's oh, it, it's brilliant. Then I watched something truly incredible called Ghost Watch. Have you ever heard of Ghost Watch? No. Ghost Watch was mm. broadcast on BBC One, mm. Halloween night, 
1992. Okay. Okay. It was a drama, but it starred Michael Parkinson. Do you know Michael Parkinson? Yeah. Yeah, the famous interviewer. Yeah. It starred him. It starred Craig Charles as, as playing themselves, uh, Sarah Green playing herself, and she was a children's TV presenter from the early 90s, and her mm. husband, who I think was called Michael Smith. Uh, it starred all of them. And the conceit of it is that it is a live show where they are going to spend the night broadcasting from a haunted house hmm. to try and see if ghosts really exist. And basically, okay. well, Michael Parkinson is in, in a studio with a psychiatrist or a parapsychologist. And then hmm. Sarah Green is in the house with this family that are being haunted. And Craig Charles is outside the house kind of doing interviews with local residents. And obviously, you know, through the course of the film, it's about an hour and a half long, it, there is a ghost in the house haunting people and stuff and creepy things start happening. The really interesting thing about it is it was billed as a drama, but a lot of people apparently tuned in late and thought it was real. And it absolutely petrified millions of people <laughs> who thought it was real. And when you watch wow. it, it totally, I can see why people would have thought it was real. And I thought it was a bit of a, I've heard about it for years, but never watched it. And I always thought it was kind of, you know, something that was interesting because it has this story around it of the fact that it's never, ever been repeated on TV. The BBC mm. were almost ashamed of it. It, it. All these complaints were made about it. And I've, I thought that was why it was interesting. But if you just watch it as a film, knowing it's a fiction, mm. it's mm. still totally effective and terrifying mm. and really, really good um, and worth watching. So I think it's on YouTube, maybe. If it's not on YouTube, you can get it on DVD quite cheap. Worth looking up for anyone who's interested. Ghost Watch. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. They're fascinating. Then I watched a film, an Iranian film on Netflix called Under the Shadow. You would love this movie, um, I think. It's about a, a woman who lives in Iran, uh, in Tehran in the 80s. Okay. Uh, she is told at the start of the movie that she can't carry on her studies to become a doctor because she's been too politically mm -hmm. active in the past. Yeah. And obviously women are quite, um, don't have the best quality of life, maybe. In around particularly this time in history. Yeah. Um, she lives with a husband who is a doctor. He has to go off to um, be a doctor in the army in the war. So she's left on her own with her daughter. Mm -hmm. And missiles are being dropped on the city. There's a bit in the film where a missile lands on their apartment building. Mm. But something else enters the apartment building along with the missile that starts to haunt her daughter and her and make their lives quite tough. And it's it's really scary, but it's also an amazing drama. Look at kind of this woman and how difficult she finds it being told that she can't do the things she wants to. Mm. She's left to kind of raise her daughter, and it's quite clear early on that her dad, her the the husband, the dad has the better relationship with the daughter. She doesn't mm. really know how to properly be kind of emotional and there for her for her daughter when she needs it. It's a, a really good film. It's one of those films. It is a ghost movie, but it also it just works as a drama and as a film, just on its mm. own, separated from the drama it's part of. And um, yeah, I would recommend anyone watch Under the Shadow. It's fantastic. Then I watched Juon, The Grudge, the original Japanese uh, ghost film. No, it's not the original yeah. Japanese ghost film, but it's the original kind of big one in that series <laughs> of of Juon. Yeah, that was a that yeah, that's a good film. It's got some really creepy imagery in it. It's not as good as Ringu, but it's it's still very mm. good. Uh, then I did my homework. That I watched the original Night of the Living Dead uh, from okay. from nineteen sixty eight. I think it's a 1968. Is it from 1968? Hmm. I don't know. It is. So I think it's. I think that's the same year as Whistle and I'll Come to You. What a year. Uh, Night of the Living <laughs> Dead. 
it's a classic. It kicked off the zombie genre. It kind of popularized, you know, Romero's version of the zombie from Night of the Living Dead mm. is the popular version of the zombie in, in kind of mainstream culture now. I've seen it once before. It, it's great. It holds up. It, you know, it doesn't matter that it's a low-budget B-movie. It starts off, it feels like it's going to be quite a low-budget B-movie that's not necessarily going to work, but it's made with such passion and the acting mm. in it is so good. Um, and the writing and the special effects, it just works and it's dark and it's it's the ending is really depressing and it really hits you and oh, it's a great film. <laughs> then I wa- uh, then I watched The Stalls. I of- need to be better next this week. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to watch all the films. The last one I'm going to <laughs> talk about is The Stalls of Barchester, which is basically, Whistle and I'll Come To You was, was um, made as a one-off as part of a documentary strand, weirdly. Mm. But it was so successful that then throughout the 70s, the BBC would um, make a ghost story to show on television at Christmas. Hmm. Uh, And the first proper one of those, after which I'll come to you, was called The Stalls of Barchester. And I watched that yesterday. And it's not as scary as Whistle I'll Come To You. It's not really scary at all, but it is quite mm. a fun, evocative little ghost story. Uh, and if anyone in the UK has ever seen Keeping Up Appearances, Richard, the husband from that, oh. plays the uh, yeah plays the academic okay. that's researching the story in, in the stalls of Barchester. He's much younger because it's from the seventies, but okay. that was quite that was quite interesting to see. So yeah, that was my week in films. Wow. I know we've gone on too long. I'm sorry, but uh, some of those wow. I really wanted to mention and talk about. That's. Amazing. Good. All right. I'm pretty sure when we lived in Japan at the same time, you didn't watch so many horror films. What's happened? Um, I think it's or lockdown. <laughs> I think it's lockdown. <laughs> I think it's I think it's 2020. 2020 is the horror film of of years. Yeah. And it and it's made me kind of it double is. down on my love of horror cinema. I guess. And also, like it's such yesterday... a So go. No, yesterday I realised that I've spent most of 2020 in my house. Yeah, same. Like, all of it. <laughs> Nearly all of it. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. But it is a horror film, isn't it? Yeah. So 2020. Um, the invisible, the invisible monster. But also, I think genre cinema at the moment is 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 kind of the best of cinema. Some of the best movies of the past couple of years have been horror films. Like, it's a really... Mm. I don't know, there's so many, like, people like uh, Robert Eggers, who did The Witch in The Lighthouse, and then Ari Aster, who did uh, Hereditary in Midsummer. Like, these people are the new Kubrick, the new Lynch. You know, they are making yeah. the best films, in my opinion, at the moment. Even Bong Joon-ho and made Parasite. Well, that's kind of a horror film. Uh, I just wish I could watch them and yeah. not and be able to sleep at night. Sometimes it's all right not to sleep at night, I've discovered this week. <laughs> <laughs> just like sleeping. <laughs> oh, I challenge anyone to watch Whistle and I'll come to you and sleep comfortably that night. It is just... Oh. Okay. Should we do our homework? Yeah, homework time. Homework time. Sit down. So, sit down at the back and be quiet and get out your book because it's time to discuss your homework. Now. Who's going to start? Uh, I think uh, you are starting. Okay, I'll start. This so week? My job this week was to watch the Disney animated Robin Hood from 1973. Uh, yeah. Which I did watch amongst all the ghost mm. films. I watched Robin Hood. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I had seen it once before, but literally probably when I was about five years old. Like mm. I very, very barely remember it. And 
overall, my opinion of it is that it is fine. <laughs> Just fine. I think it's. it seems very... It's quite low-key in a way for a Robin Hood story. Mm. Like, the main villain is Prince John. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't get defeated by Robin Hood at the end. Robin Hood sort of rescues his friends from King John's castle mm. and then escapes. And then it just sort of cuts to King Richard coming back and putting Prince John and his and the Sheriff Nottingham and stuff in prison. And it's quite an odd it's quite odd for it to end with a character that you haven't seen throughout the entire movie just turning up and dealing with the villain. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, but you know, <laughs> do we always have to follow the status quo? No, Can no, we not definitely just... not. Definitely not. And but also, it... after all the horror that you've had, do you think you were going to enjoy something so bland and like lovely uh, as Robin Hood? I, <laughs> of course I, it's going to seem like... I enjoyed it. I liked it. That's just my kind of... <laughs> Perception of it is like for a Disney movie that often ends with like a big battle between the hero and mm. the villain or like a big kind of conflict. Yeah. It didn't really have that in it. and But the animation's very nice. It doesn't really mm. matter that a lot of it's recycled. That's fine. No. It just works. Like It's quite interesting that Little John... No, because it's Prince... Little John is Robin Hood's friend. So what's the Prince yeah. King? Is it King John as well? No. Yeah. That's strange. Yeah. Okay, well, Little John uh, is a I bear... Think- Mm. is animated the way Baloo the bear is in the Jungle Book and is voiced by the same actor that does Baloo. So it's literally the same character almost, which is fine because Baloo's great. So it's it's absolutely fine. And I think that with Robin Hood, the sequence that is most memorable and I think most makes it somewhat of a classic is the archery competition sequence. Yeah. uh, Where he's dressed up as the stork and stuff. That's, that's, That's great. That whole set piece is really good. Some of the other set yeah. pieces, you know, like the the castle uh, rescue scene at the end and stuff, didn't work as well for me. But that mm. archery competition is really, really good. So good. Uh, but I think ultimately the thing that me makes me prefer, say, The Jungle Book and other films mm. over Robin Hood would be that the songs in Robin Hood, to me, aren't... They're just, from in my personal taste, the songs aren't as memorable as The Jungle Book songs or, you know, mm. Aladdin. Okay. Yeah, then they're not. Yeah, they're, it is is a very calm and you have I don't know mellow film. Yeah. I yeah. think yeah, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I liked it. I gave yeah. it. I gave it three stars on Letterboxd. I liked it, but I didn't. I didn't love it. It's not one of my favorite Disney movies. But yeah, there there we are. Robin Hood. Yes. Thank you for making me watch it. It was a nice way to spend a couple of hours, an hour, <laughs> an hour and a half. After so much kind of misery, I watched it in between. Yeah. I watched it and then I straight after it, I watched Night of the Living Dead. Oh wow! <laughs> um, so yeah, interesting double bill. How about you? How did you find homework this week? I watched the Goofy movie. You did? Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Can I just tell you good. something before we start? Yeah. After I watched Night of the Living Dead, I watched a Goofy movie. Okay. So I watched I, it this week as well. Okay. Uh, well, it, it it's good. Um, I remember uh, when I was a teenager, what teenager, before teenagehood, um, I think these kind of films came out and there was, so, there was a series with Max because I remember yeah. him. I remember the character. And I, it was a good transition from Mickey Mouse, who was more for children, to, you know, the teenagers um uh, when they their children growing up 
Um, and I used to read this comic, which was um, a collection every week in Italy came out, this collection called uh, Topolino, which is Mickey Mouse. Okay. And my favorite stories were the ones of the the kids of Donald Duck and uh, oh, huge Goofy. Really and stuff. Yeah, and um, I, 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 watching this film, it kind of reminded me of that time of uh, leaving Mickey Mouse and going to the to the children of Mickey Mouse and kind of making it, you know, they were teenagers now. And yeah, um, but yeah, so um, it's interesting. Uh, they're definitely teenagers. The way they speak and the way they th- see things, it's very yeah. kind of like it's a bit of a coming of age adult. high school movie, isn't yeah. It? Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, it was it, what I found. Like I wrote some notes actually. Uh, you know when they drive. Uh, yeah. So so, so very, goofy... let's first very briefly. What's the kind of plot outline? Because I feel like people okay, know the... the plot of Robin Hood, but maybe don't know the plot of. Okay, the plot of Goofy the movie is um, Max, which is Goofy's son. It's kind of a movie of a goof, so everybody kind of mocks him in school, and he's in love with this girl, Roxanne. Called. Roxanne, yeah, and he thinks that uh, to uh, get Roxanne's attention, he has to do something crazy, um, and so he, the first, no, the last day of school, he organizes this kind of gorilla <laughs> concert. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, where he impersonates the 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 teen idol at the time. Powerline. Remember power line everything goes well uh but then everything breaks uh but he thinks he got the attention of this girl roxanne but in reality he already he already had it you don't have to be exactly she already liked him she already liked him she didn't have to go through all of that and so after this amazing concert uh they got sent they get sent to the principal's office and then the principal calls Goofy, you don't want your child to go to prison. And then Goofy freaks out. He doesn't decides... even just say go to prison. Do you remember what he tells Goofy is going to happen to his son? Ah, he's going to go in an electric chair. <laughs> he's gonna it's so dramatic. Chair. And so there's a scene of like <laughs> Max <laughs> with an electric chair. It's so dramatic. Yeah. Drama. Uh, Goofy decides to take him on a fishing journey. But uh, in the meantime, Roxanne asks uh, Max to go to something on a Friday night with him. Her party. She's going to show the Powerline concert uh, yeah. on TV at her party. Yes, exactly. But then when Max gets home, he realizes that Goofy is going to take him away. So Max goes to Roxanne and instead of telling her just that um, his father is taking him away, he's saying, he says, oh, I'm going to be part of the Powerline concert in Los Angeles. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) They go on this journey. Finally, they make the Powerline concert. And uh, he sees Roxanne. Roxanne sees him. He comes back. They kiss. It's all very very nice. Full spoilers for a goofy movie, yeah? Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, it's interesting. It's... uh, it's, um, There's a scene when they're driving and there's a musical number. Oh, yes, there is. And... They're driving with some pretty crazy scenes. Like at one point, one of the cars has got a guy with a like a piece of um, concrete in the in the boot of the car with a piece of concrete on his feet because he's gonna be put 
well, it looks like they're probably going to send. Did you see that? Is it the prisoner? No, no. Like there's a really weird. So they're in <laughs> in the car, and loads of cars start singing. Uh, people in the car start singing, and so there's one bit where yeah, they're the prisoners, and okay, that's pretty normal. But then there's a point where there's a boot of the car or yeah. trunk, whatever you want to call it, open, yeah. and there's a guy in the boot of the car singing, but he's got a piece of concrete attached to his feet because he's going to clearly be. Oh, it's like the, put... the mafia are going to chuck him in the yeah. In the... I yeah. don't remember that I, at all. Go and watch that scene again and you'll see the guy. It's on the left. I had to watch it twice. It's like, I had, I re- <laughs> I remember the corpse. There's a bit where there's a corpse singing. In there's a corpse singing. It's so bizarre. So bizarre. Also, where are all the mothers? These children have come out of fathers, <laughs> but there's no mothers. There are no mothers. That's a good point, I guess. Yeah. Roxanne, her father is there. JP is only her father. Goofy's only her... There are no mothers. Yeah. In fact, Roxanne and her friend are just about the only two... <laughs> yeah. Women that yeah. have Yeah, I thought that was also. really, really weird. Yeah, like, weird. Goofy, where's your where's your partner, wife, whoever? Oh, where is she? Or where is he? It doesn't matter. <laughs> at the start of the film, it shows Goofy at work. And I guess he works as a photographer in a department store. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and he's taking a photo of a baby, and that baby has a mum. So. Ah, okay, fine. <laughs> That's a little bit. <laughs> I didn't think about that scene, um, but yeah, it was an enjoyable hour, and like it's like an hour and twenty minutes, not yeah. even an hour and fifty minutes. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was good. What did, uh, what did you think of the songs? Yeah. Did you like the songs? Oh, yeah, they're fine. <laughs> um, before we move on, just very quickly, the whole that whole film. To me, like the entire movie is just one long piece of nostalgia. Like I remember every bit, and in particular, there's a bit near the start where they they have a guy that does the tech for them at this gorilla concert they're putting on, mm. who <laughs> yeah. they pay him with a can of string cheese, yeah, like a can yeah. of spray cheese. And yeah. when they get sent to the principal's office, he makes a leaning tower of pizza, pizza, out of the cheese, and he calls it a leaning tower of cheese. Yeah, and he yeah. smushes it all in his mouth, and he's got all cheese in his mouth. Yeah, and it's all like melting and coming out of his mouth. I just remember wanting to eat that cheese. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember being like, "That looks like really delicious cheese." Oh god! Um, and that, that bit, that bit for some reason, whenever I think of a goofy movie, I always think of that character holding that tower of cheese in his hand, <laughs> smashing it in his mouth. Um. So yeah, yeah no, good. But... I'm glad you watched a goofy movie. Thanks for mm. thanks for indulging me. Five, four, three, two, one, our top five. We're doing top five international animated films. Yes. Which I found quite tricky because there's not many international animated films. Like, I was was thinking, I went through Letterboxd because I record all my films on Letterboxd. Hmm. And I looked at all the animations I've watched and picked out the ones that were, in, you know, international in a foreign language kind of thing. Hmm. They're all Japanese. <laughs> yeah. And then I was yeah. like, right, I need to, surely I've seen something else. Yeah. So I Googled like top international animated films, top foreign language yeah. animated films. Everything that comes up is just lists of Japanese anime. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they're at the top. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. There's the only other country that really seems to get a look in is France. France had France, a real yeah, yeah animation yeah. sort of thing. Um, yeah. So 
yeah, it's 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 it was quite interesting to put together. So yeah, we'll see how I did. Um, my number five. Yeah. Yeah. Is a Japanese film. Oh, actually, the only other thing I wanted to mention is I. There's also a thing where I think Sorry. there are animation studios who are abroad, but mm. release films in English, and it doesn't really count. Like, for example, Illumination Entertainment, who make Despicable Me and yeah. the Minions movies, and they made Sing. They're based in France. Like, a lot of the animators... Yeah, they're based in France. Were, and there's a real yeah. French sensibility, I think, to the Minions as well. Mm. But I wouldn't... I don't. It, does it belong on this list? No. No. I mean, I, I don't like those movies, so they would be. But it... So... It's almost like because a lot of the money is in English language films, and it's very easy mm. to make an animated film being English. Mm. I think that might be another reason why it can be quite difficult to Maybe. to sort of nail. Anyway, anyway, my number five top international animated film is called <laughs> "The Girl Who Leapt Through Time." Ah, yeah. Or in Japanese, "Tokyo Kakeru Shoujo." Mm. Uh, yeah. Have you seen it? Yes. Yes. It's a good, yes. it's a good fun anime. It's about mm-hmm. a girl who uh, is at school. She's like a student in high school. She falls over one day and lands on this little weird walnut thing, and discovers that she can travel back through time. Mm. Um, and then you know it's t- it's a sort of it's a time loop movie in your sort of Groundhog Day style where she just mm. keeps using this uh, power she's gained to do really. Change change things in a really frivolous way. Like she uses it to do yeah. a karaoke session over and over again and stuff like that. And then obviously, mm. you know, as the story progresses, it gets a bit more serious and she finds out why she's got these powers. And I really like it. It's a really fun, nice anime. I mm. think the thing that puts it at the bottom of my top five is that it kind of ends up over-explaining itself a little bit. Like the... Mm. And it's, yeah. it's a thing that often happens, I feel like, in Japanese... Films and stuff is that like things get, and it happens in stuff from other countries as well. Obviously, it's not mm. specific to Japan, but like it definitely is a sensibility that I feel runs through Japanese cinema in terms of needing to like really, really explain everything about an idea. So, like, she has a tattoo on her arm that has exactly how many times she can leap through time again, mm. and it kind of ends up really explaining exactly where this came from and how it works. And it's something similar mm. actually because I've been watching so many ghost films this week. I like ghost stories and horror movies where it doesn't explain why it was happening. Like the movie just ends yeah. and horrific, horrific things have happened and you're left mm. to wonder why it happened and you don't know. And that's so much more effective to me and it gives you so much more to think about afterwards than when it's like, mm. oh, it turns out it's happening because this little girl was murdered by a guy mm. and she wants you to put her doll back in this chest so that she can move on to the afterlife. You know, yeah. Giving all of that mm. meaning to something kind of reduces the mystery of it, reduces how scary it can be, or mm. you know, in cases like this, how interesting it can be. So I really like The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, but I feel like it over-explains itself a little bit. And the only reason I'm bringing yeah. that up as a criticism is because there's a sort of a similar film later in my list that doesn't explain itself and leaves yeah. it up to the imagination. And I mm. love that one so, so, so much more as a result mm. of partly as a result of that. So yeah, that's The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. Yeah. I, 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 it's not one of my favourites yeah. specifically for that. Oh yeah. Because I feel it just, it just too, it just becomes, becomes a little bit repetitive and a little bit, uh, stagnant I don't know I, I, it's not my favourite when I watched it because I really I love Mamoru Osoda which is the director okay. of The Girl Who Left Through Time and uh, I, I, I think it's, it's the film of his disappointed me a little bit okay. which is it's hard for me to be disappointed in 
animation. It's a good film, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I haven't seen any of the films by Dodger. I think this is definitely a week where you've seen more of the topic than I have, which is absolutely fine. Yeah, well, I'm obsessed. Yeah, Obsessed! So, what's your number five? My number five. Uh, this was the hardest week for me, I think, just because <laughs> for me, I could put them all in number one, even if I didn't enjoy them very much. So uh, the, my number five is called Harietti, or in Japanese, Kari Gurashi no Arietti. Okay. Uh, so it was released in uh, 2010, mm-hmm. and it's an adaptation of uh, the book The Borrowers. Yes. And it's, it was adapted by... Um, Is it sometimes called The Secret World of Arietti or The Secret Life? Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, in America it's called The Secret Wor- or World of Arietti, uh, but... I've always it's all Arietti the borrower, yeah. But in America, it's the secret world of Harietti because okay. they have to make it different. Um, and yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk. Was, we'll talk about uh, bad American titles of things uh, when I get to, when we get to my number two. But anyway, sorry, go on. Yeah, um, and uh, it was adapted by Hayao Miyazaki and Keiko uh, Mua. Mm-hmm. So it's a Ghibli production is a Ghibli production and um, it was the directorial debut of Hiromasa Yonebayashi okay. uh, who now has left Ghibli to start a new venture with Studio Ponak so now Ghibli has got kind of a um, rival or a competitor okay. with Studio Ponak uh, which uh, that that's really interesting uh, so um I really like Hiromasa Yonebayashi, uh, and uh, he also was the animator in my other number five, which I wasn't sure, which was Howl's Moving Castle. Okay. So for years, my favorite was, well, one of my favorite was uh, film was Howl's Moving Castle. But after watching Harietti, it's so beautiful. And uh, what is the story about uh, this um, boy? that uh is has got some kind of um you know illness and uh, for the summer he goes to um his uh, mother's house in the countryside and um when he arrives he sees uh, this cat uh, kind of attacking something but he's not sure what it is and then slowly he finds out that uh he has uh, well there are little people uh, living uh in the house and uh, which are the borrowers and um the borrowers are these uh people that are really small and they go they live uh in kind of symbiosis maybe with the with the people in the house mm. and they only take things that maybe uh, the human they live with might not miss. So, for example, a little bit of sugar or a button or something that is not big. It shows typical Japanese summer, and I, I've said about it before. I There's something about seasons in Japan that you know that a certain season is a certain season. When you arrive in Japan, people are like, oh, how many seasons do you have? We have four seasons. Yeah. But the more I lived in Japan, I realized how seasons are much more differentiated there, depending on the food and the heat. And, for example, in in the summer is excruciatingly excruciatingly hot. And we have these cicadas making this noise. And in the winter is freezing. It's just completely different. And 
this one shows summer and you can hear the cicadas and you can feel the heat. It's just beautiful from the animation to the music. It's an amazing film. And I, I never thought I would take Howl's Moving Castle away from any <laughs> list. But I think this one has done it because it's really, really good. Um, and the way this they showed the hidden world, there's just such a attention to detail for everything. Yeah. And just the imagination of the world that they created, like the house of the borrowers is beautiful. And at one point you're realizing which part of the house it is. And it's just magical to see what you've been seeing as a little house. When you see it from a different perspective, Yeah, you go, oh, it's just like a box or something. <laughs> and it's just beautiful. Really it's a cool. beautiful, beautiful film. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you've put it on your so, list because I think that maybe just purely by virtue of the fact that it's not directed by Miyazaki, it often gets sort of left out of the discussion, yeah. I think, with uh, Studio Ghibli. Like people kind of equate Ghibli with just Miyazaki movies, but obviously yeah. there's, there's more to Ghibli than that. So, oh, absolutely. Uh, side note, have you seen that Studio Ghibli are making a CGI film? No. Ah. Um, yeah, one of their next movies is going to be computer animated rather than hand-drawn. And it's uh, they've put out screenshots of it recently. And it is very mm. odd to see this Ghibli style rendered in 3D animation as opposed to you know 2D hand-drawn animation. So okay. yeah, a lot of people think it looks really bad. I'm willing to wait and see how it looks in, in mm. sort of in motion or I think actually, mm. no, I think they even put out some video, but I, I'm waiting to, I'm waiting to see the final product, I guess. Mm. But it, it is, it is definitely a different look for, for Ghibli. Okay. Awesome. That was your number five, right? My number five. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so my number four, my number four is probably the anime that is most commonly thought of outside of the world of Ghibli, if you see what I mean. Hmm. It is yeah. Akira. Akira! Akira! From 1988, yes. adaptation of a manga, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. The main characters are Tetsuo and Kaneda. And mm-hmm. if you uh, think that you would enjoy seeing those characters scream each other's names at each other over and over again, <laughs> then Akira <laughs> is definitely the movie for you, because there's a lot of Tetsuo, Canada, Tetsuo, <laughs> Canada. Um, uh... But it's it's got a plot, it's to do with experimenting on humans, hmm. human experimentation and all of this kind of thing. It's a very cyberpunk sort of sci-fi plot. But really, the plot is sort of secondary to the visuals. And well, for me, mm. the plot is secondary to the visuals. The visuals are incredible in Akira. Mm. I really do think. You yeah. know, it starts off in this sort of cyberpunk sci fi, Tokyo, Neo Tokyo. They're, mm. right, they're driving around on these wild motorbikes that just look absolutely incredible. Uh, Final Fantasy VII definitely took inspiration from the look of Akira, I think, for, for certain sequences in Mid- Midgar at the start of that uh, game. And uh, it just looks great. And then it ends with this sort of body horror. Like, it really gets horrific and awful mm. to look at and makes you feel quite uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And it's got a nice story. It's quite dark and and, mm. and, and unpleasant at times, but it, it, it's really good. The first time I ever... And maybe this is why I like the visuals. Is the first time I ever saw Akira was in a bar in Japan mm. where <laughs> um, they were playing music, so you couldn't hear the film at all. I just saw the visuals mm. on screen. I remember being like, what on earth is this? And eventually I worked out it was Akira, and I was like, right, I've got to watch Akira because that is just mm. crazy. And, uh, yeah, I really like it. It's a, it's a really good anime. It's very kind of a type of anime that you don't necessarily see so much now that kind of the Ghibli style has become so popular. Kind yeah. Of that kind of quite cute 
stuff gets made more, whereas Akira's mm. much more sort of, I guess gritty is the word, but it sounds a bit uh, redundant to use, a, to use a word like that. But yeah, it's a bit mm. more sort of down to earth in a way. And uh, yeah, I really like Akira. Yeah. Have you yeah, seen Akira? And all the... mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what do you think? Yeah. I like it. I um, it's 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 really really good, and the animation is amazing. And what I always appreciated about Akira is just the the way the drawings are very different from kind of normal mainstream, well, normal, let's say mainstream of what we have in the West uh, animation. Mm. Like the faces are a little bit different, and uh, and it's uh, it's different. Yeah, I like it. No, it's uh, it's very very good. And Hollywood has been trying to make a live ad- live action adaptation of it for years, and it um, years years, and it's never really gotten off the ground because I think it's such an no. odd story. It would be very difficult to tell in live action. Most recently, Taika Waititi was attached to uh, direct an adaptation of it, which is definitely one person who I would be interested to see what he did with the source mm. material. But he decided to make the next uh, Thor movie instead of the sequel Ooh, to it. Yeah, exciting. so he's doing Thor Love and Thunder with Natalie Portman, which I'm sure will be brilliant. But uh, I hope he does. If if they are going to insist on making a live action Akira, I do hope Taika Waititi ends up uh, doing it because I think that if anyone can kind of create something interesting. Do you interesting, think it would work? Um, yeah, I think so. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think like I think there was a time when someone more kind of generic was attached to it and stuff like that. And I don't think it would work if you were trying to do it Mm. the ghost in the shell way with Scott Westcott. You know, I think you have to get somebody who's got a real vision for it themselves involved. And I don't think Taika Waititi would attach himself to a project unless he had a clear Mm. idea of what he wanted to do. So I would I would trust him to do an Akira movie, but I wouldn't trust many of the creators to to do one. Yeah. and I, I don't. don't know, I don't I'm, need I'm it. Just, I'm, I'd be happy if it never happened. Yeah. But I feel like it's a no. I, I I would be happy if it never happened. Just because um I haven't watched it for a while, so I'm just looking at some pictures now, and there's some scenes that are so kind of raw and kind of interesting that how would you be able to make them without? I don't know. I just I just think it works so well as an anime. Yeah, definitely. But if anyone can do goofy visuals blended with yeah. heartfelt emotion, you know. Yeah. There's your man. Anyway, anyway, that's my number four pick. What's yours? Mm-hmm. My number four, it was very hard because um, you, you you put one of his films on number f- five, which is uh, Mamoru Osoda. And I like really like him as a director. Okay. And there were th- three of his films I really, 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 really like. And I yeah. had to choose one. Okay. <laughs> so I chose uh, oh okay I chose <laughs> Wolf Children <laughs> okay which in oh, Japanese is called Okami Kodomo no Ame to Yuki okay. and it came out in 2012 and is directed by Mamoru Soda which also did um, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time okay. and uh, to make this film uh, Osoda completely created a new studio so Soda used to work for Ghibli and then he moved to another another studio called Madhouse but he feels always that he can't do what he wants to do and yeah. so uh, <laughs> he he created a completely different studio to make Wolf Children which the story is quite simple 
this uh, woman uh, in college falls in love with her college friend who then uh, turns out to be a wolf um, that gets um, and they have uh, two children and they're clearly wolf half wolves or fully wolves depending on how you want to look at it okay. and unfortunately uh, he uh, gets killed in a car accident and um, she's starting uh, without him she's starting to have kind of like issues with social services and they move uh, out in the countryside uh, it, the story is very simple but also shows um, what I like about Japanese animation shows kind of a very um, adult theme that yeah. as a kid, maybe you wouldn't realize in, as a kid, you kind of, you can watch as a kid and see a family with like two wolf children having a great time. But as an adult, you can see uh, the struggle of losing a partner, uh, but also the struggle of being with a partner that is not like you and, um, and then going uh, to a new school, not uh, knowing not try not being yourself because the kids can't be wolves in the school of course so uh, being somebody else uh, one of the kids adapting to this not being themselves and one kid not adapting uh, and at, in the end is mainly about allowing people to follow their path without giving them you know too much yeah. Uh, guidance. And so I, I really, really like it. You can see it as a really simple movie about a family, or you can see it as so many other things. Have you seen it, Wolf Children? No, I've heard of it. I remember seeing the DVD mm. in shops a lot uh, around. When mm. did it come out? 2012. Yeah, so maybe a couple of a few years later when it kind of probably made it big mm. overseas. I remember like 2016 sort of time. It, it's DVD mm. was in uh, HMV and shops like that quite often, but I never actually mm. got around to watching it. But it sounds good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And that's my number four, which is Wolf Children. Choice. Mm. I like it. Okay. Good. Yes. Wolf Children. So next is my number three. Yes. Pick, uh, which is my Studio Ghibli pick. Mm-hmm. My favourite Ghibli movie. It's one that I've watched uh, for the first time quite recently, actually. I watched it when... Because Netflix recently really uh, put a load of the Ghibli movies yeah. up on Netflix, which was really cool because so many yeah. of them... They've been quite difficult to see in the West um, sometimes. Mm. Like the, DVD, the DVDs and Blu-rays are always full price. They're hardly ever on sale kind of thing. So it can be quite difficult to access. So it's really good that they put them on Netflix. And I watched for the first time Kiki's Delivery Service. From 1989, directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, in Japanese, yeah. it's I think it's Majo no Takyubin. Mm. It's the uh, Japanese yeah. title. Uh, Kiki is a witch, a young witch who's turning, is it 13? I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort mm. of entering adulthood as a witch. And she has to go and live on her own for a year in a village uh, to kind of complete her training as a witch. So she mm. goes off on her broom with her uh, cat, who I think is called Gigi. Yeah, uh, she can talk to and they talk to each other and she goes off to kind of learn to be a witch and it's like a coming of age story mm. uh, she finds this town to live in for a year and sort of starts to struggle with her magic but sets up a delivery mm. service for locals where she'll take people parcels and stuff and she meets this old woman yeah. and she forms a real bond with mm. and there's a point in the movie where she loses her powers and mm. she because she's quite sad and she struggles to get them back and eventually gets them back but it's one of, it's got an ending that's Really, really beautiful. It's really bittersweet where she's got mm. her powers back and she's sort of settled into this um, 
world she's living in without giving too much away there's kind of a thread mm. about how uh, her cat whether or not she can talk to her cat uh, mm. and in the American version of the movie they end it in a really happy way and in the Japanese version of the original Japanese version of the film they end it in a much more bittersweet way mm. where she's sort of grown yeah. up and adapted but it means that maybe she can't communicate with her cat as much anymore because it's sort of yeah, it's a common thread through, through sort of mm. films and stuff where children are more able to communicate with animals and see things that adults can't. So she sort of starts to lose this ability to talk to her cat. Mm. Um, and it's really it's a really mature way of ending the movie. And I just love it. I love it. I love mm. it. I love Kiki's Delivery Service. It's really good. Mm. It's heartfelt. It's beautiful. And uh, yeah. 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 What do you think nice. of it? <clears throat> I, I really like Kiki Kiki's Delivery Service. I think it's really nice. And uh yeah, I didn't realize there was an American version. That an American ended, version is not well, as much as um, you know, the American. Well, yeah, dub. the ending. Yeah, yeah, which I can't watch. Do you watch them in? No, I, I watch them or? in Japanese. Yeah, yeah. No, I I really like Kiki's Delivery Service. I just the uh, it uh, the fact that they also the the town they live in by the sea is just so picturesque, isn't it? Yes, it's yeah. really beautiful. It's just really beautiful. There's something about. Anime, anime, Japanese anime, that they can create these worlds that are beautiful. Yeah, I've heard, especially Kiki's Delivery Service and that kind of Japanese artwork being described mm. as like Japanese Europe. Yeah, like yeah. Japan's mm. Japan's kind of version of what the ideal yeah. European city would look like. Um, and yeah. yeah, Kiki's Delivery Service has a, a yeah. just gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Ah, good choice, good choice. I like Kiki's Delivery Service. Thank you. Very good. Okay, so that was my number three. What's next so, for you? My number three is a film called In This Corner of the World, Kono Sekai no Katasumi Ni. Oh, I haven't heard of it. What is it? Uh, it uh, came out in 2016 and uh, it's uh, an adaptation from a manga and is a film set before and after uh, the uh, Hiroshima nuclear bomb um Ooh. Well, when the Nurshin got nuclear bomb got released, yeah. Um, it shows it's really heartbreaking, <laughs> uh, but really beautiful. It shows um, everyday life in Japan. So it shows it shows Japan during the war, but it shows how people have to carry on uh living kind of a normal life during the war so it doesn't show the war itself it's uh the story of this uh girl and uh you could you could consider uh, consider her a little bit simple and uh, she likes drawing and she's always quite positive it's really heartbreaking but it also uh, it shows the <sighs> how war is terrible and disgusting and how these and how Japanese people were living during the war and um there's 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 a bit because of uh, air air raids the women had to um cut their kimonos into uh pants into trousers uh so they had to make trousers so if anything happened they could run away because mm. you can't really run away with a kimono so you know women started wearing trousers and kind of um Things like that, and uh, I think it's definitely uh, something to watch. Yeah. And it's uh, I cried a lot when I watched <laughs> I can it. Imagine. It sounds very insightful, but uh, very intense. Yeah. To watch it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What was it called again? Mark, this, this corner of the world. In this corner of the world, yeah. Of the world. I think you can find it on Netflix. 
a nice pick. Well, a good a good pick, a worthy pick, it seems. So, mm, yeah. Definitely. Okay, so that's your number three. My number three. Number three in this corner of the world. So my yep. number two is not a Japanese film. Oh! <gasps> it is, in fact... Well, <laughs> when I watched it, I thought it was a French film, but it turns out that it's actually like a, a Swiss-French co-production. I think it was made in Switzerland, or the director is from Switzerland, at least. Yeah. Uh, but the language spoken in the movie is French in the original version. Mm. It is called My Life as a Courgette. <laughs> yeah. I, haven't, I haven't seen it, but I've uh, I've seen the... The poster. The, yeah. Yeah. Um, in French, it's called Ma Vie de Courgette. And in mm. America, because they don't call courgettes courgettes in America, in America it's called My Life as a Zucchini. Oh, no, thank zucchini. you. My life is a courgette. <laughs> it's a. It's only an hour and ten minutes long. It's really short. Mm. It might even be an hour and five minutes actually. Um, it's a stop motion animated film about a, a young boy whose name is Ikare, <laughs> but his mum yeah. calls him courgette, and he. It op- mm. The film opens with him in his room in his house. He makes a little kite and he's drawing a picture on the front that's obviously meant to be his dad, and he's flying this kite. And you see him go downstairs and you see his mum is just on her own, sat in front of the TV, drinking beer. And she's flinging beer cans at the at the TV and stuff. And she's obviously drunk. Mm. And then, I won't say exactly how it happens, but basically, very early on, she, she dies. The mum dies. And it's clear that the mm. dad isn't in the picture. It never makes it 100% clear why the dad isn't around, which I think is quite mm. interesting. It's, it, it, you know. For whatever reason, the dad not being there, Courgette is ultimately left as a orphan. So this policeman sort of interviews him and takes him to the uh, orphanage in the town. And he gets left to live in this orphanage with the other children in the orphanage. And um, they kind of get to know each other. And I think the thing that makes it so... Because, full disclosure, I watched it this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in my determination to not have this just be a list of Japanese movies to like go yeah. overboard, so I'd, I'd I'd wanted to watch this for a while. It'd been on my radar. I knew mm. people really liked it, and you know, happily, it didn't just make my top five, but it's definitely in at number two because it is it is incredible. Mm. I, mean, I cried while I was watching it. Oh, um, it the thing that makes it so impressive is one: the art style is amazing. The art style is it's mm. stop motion animation. I think the characters look like they're made from plasticine in a similar way to Ardman and Wallace and Gromit and stuff, mm. but a bit more st- stylized in a different way. But then their clothes will be made from fabric. Um, but you can tell they're really small cuts of fabric. You know, if a character's wearing jeans, you can tell it's a tiny little bit of denim that's been, you know, formed into the shape mm. of a jean leg and stuff. Um, and it's it's just gorgeous. And it's very childish looking in a way. It's very colourful. You know, the courgette mm. has blue, bright blue hair and stuff like this. But it doesn't shy away from how from really mature themes. Um, mm. You know, there are scenes. There's there's a scene where it goes through why each character in the orphanage is in the orphanage. You know, why they've been mm. orphaned, for example. And it's clear that you know one of the children is there because her mum wasn't. And it's all described by children, so they're using their language. But as an adult, mm. you can understand what they're talking about, and you can kind of understand that one of the mm. children has probably you know had abusive parents that she's been rescued from mm. and she covers her face uh, half her face with her hair and mm. you sort of you know later on in the film you see what's under her face and you kind of mm. even though it's still in this very stylized childish you know 
bizarre. You can kind of see why she's covering her face up sort of thing. Hmm. Uh, another character, it's clear that her, I think her mum would have been an, an illegal immigrant who's been uh, sort of deported, but because her daughter was born in in Switzerland, she's kind of left behind it. Sort of very, hmm. very mature themes and ideas. Um and it's just it's just beautiful, and the storyline is really simple but really gorgeous and beautiful. And basically, Courgette is in this um, orphanage, and he makes friends with the other orphans and introduces a character called mm. Simon, who you kind of immediately assume is going to be a bully, but it's not as simple as that. And it, you know, Simon, mm. like in real life, there are reasons why Simon maybe seems quite unpleasant at, at first, and and mm. has to be sort of um, treat not treated differently, but you know. Is, is a bit different mm. from the others and um and yeah it, it's it's kind of an amazing piece of work you know it's it's in the children's section of, of hmv and stuff when i've seen it in the past but mm. it, it's very it deals with incredibly mature ideas for children um and mm. definitely as an adult it really kind of left me a bit sort of sh- shattered when it ended um but also Aww. really it's beautiful it's 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 mm. the storyline is really nice um so yeah, just uh, my life as a courgette is a wonderful film that everyone should watch. Mm. And uh, yeah, so yeah, and you haven't seen it, but you know yeah, about be... it. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch it for a <clears> while <throat> actually, because uh, I, th- I think I've seen. I don't know if it's on Netflix or somewhere, or I was looking for animation or mm. yeah, but definitely, yeah, you've been better than me. For me, it's just well, I had I had a whole just... list that I wanted to try and watch, and I kind of didn't manage it, so I just. Yeah, yeah, my life is a cause, yeah. But even even the ones that are not Japanese animation, I don't think they could ever surpass Japanese animation, in my opinion. Maybe <laughs> my life as a courgette will be, but I, 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 I don't know. Maybe it's just because I've I've grown up with it. Yeah. Uh, Japanese animation was... Uh, the only cartoons we really had in Italy were Japanese. And uh, it just for me, disco- discovering more and more about this and how how important they are in japan yeah they're not just cartoons they are like films they're not just for children they're for everyone although disney tries to do that it's not the same you know adults go to see animation without children no i think Um, when you try and do that in the west you end up with shrek having watched films before moving to japan and then having an idea of what kind of animation was and then going to Japan, you kind of realize how how embedded in people's life animation is yeah. there, yeah. which is not necessarily the same in the West. You yeah. don't necessarily like cartoons. You're like, I don't like cartoons. I mean, but I think pretty much anybody has in- really enjoyed in Japan yeah. an animation movie or has gone to see one or... Yeah. I think a thing that really illustrated that to me was when I started asking children in school in Japan what they wanted to be when they grew up. And a really common answer would be voice actor for anime. Mm. And you wouldn't, yeah. you just wouldn't really, children, like children in the UK, I feel, wouldn't really tell you they want to be a voice actor mm. for cartoons. Or, yeah. You know, it's, mm. and maybe some do, but it's not common in that way. That, like, and, and the voice actor stars in Japan are famous celebrities. Um, yeah. when they just aren't in in, in America and uh, the UK. Generally, they get people who are already famous to do voices in big animations rather than uh, mm. having animations yeah. create famous people. So yeah, it's very different. And yeah, no, I agree. I think that Japanese anime is inc- it's incredible. I really like it. But um, mm. I wanted to try and just have a slight amount of diversity of some sort in there. So I watched that. Yeah. I, I'm not putting it on my list just for the sake of it. It's definitely 
Mm. You know, it could have gone in at number five if I just thought it was good. But yeah. I, I thought it was yeah. an incredible piece of work. So, yeah, number two. What's your number two? Oh, this is difficult because my number one and number two keep moving, shifting, being the same, not the same. Okay, okay. no, I decided. Right. My number two... <laughs> has changed just right now okay uh and it changed again before but it changed yeah my number two is uh, a film that has uh, come out uh, recently and it has had an incredible uh i don't know what's the word an incredible response yeah. and it's 2016 your name your name Kimi no Nawa. yes that yes. is my number one. Ah, uh, it was going to be my number one. <laughs> yeah, but I, but just couldn't. But let's talk about it. Yeah, let's talk. How about amazing it. is your name? I absolutely adore it. It's one of my favorite films of of all time of, of any genre or type of film. It's so good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, I mean, I can. I'll just it? well, t- so I'll go through the plot sort of set up very quickly, and then we can talk yeah. about more. So it's 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 the story yeah. of two young people one of them is a girl who lives in a small village small japanese village whose name is do you remember Mm. her name her name is mitsuha mitsuha um and then the other and she's Mm. still in school right yeah yeah and then the other character is a boy uh who's slightly older has he just left school he's sort of doing part-time jobs working as a waiter and things like that isn't he no, he's still in school. Is he still in school? But he's just per- working. Okay. Mm, he's in high school. Feel, They're both in high school. But I feel like he's a year older than her, at least. I feel like he is... Maybe, yeah. Slightly but older. I think... Yeah, but he still goes to school. Right. He is living in Tokyo. Yeah. And then what starts to happen in the film is that he... He wakes up one morning in her body, and she wakes up in his body. And they've never yeah. met before. They don't know each other at all. No. Um, but then he starts to experience life as a teenage girl in a small village and she yeah. starts to experience life as a teenage boy in Tokyo. And mm-hmm. they start to sort of understand each other a little bit, but they've never met. They don't really know who each other is, so they can't really talk. And then uh, over the course of the film, about particularly after the halfway point of the film, events happen and revelations happen that yeah. I, I don't want to spoil the day. No. But uh, it starts out as a sort of body swap film, you know, like Freaky yeah. Friday or something, but it ends up mm. becoming something much more than just a body swap film, uh, incorporating other sort of science fiction elements and telling mm. a really gorgeous story. And it's a movie that has a final shot, which is one of my favourite final shots of all time uh, in any film. Mm. So, so yeah, I absolutely love it. Why do you like it so much? Oh, it's funny. Like the beginning is so funny when he's in the uh, in the girl's body and he touches himself and the sister comes in. There's some really funny moments. Uh, It's beautiful. The animation is incredible. There's something. It's just what it's it's just gorgeous. Uh, It's heartbreaking. (laughs) There's some moments that are completely heartbreaking where you just go. No, Um, it's about uh, longing and separation, wanting something different. (laughs) Um, And it just shows also the difference between 
you know, uh, you know, town and countryside life in uh, the countryside of Japan, which is pretty much still quite like that, and uh, city life in uh, Tokyo. Uh, it's uh, it's magical, but also realistic. It's just amazing. Yeah, magical uh, realism I, actually. It, it yeah, just, magical realism is a really good way of describing this film. And and also the ending, you can make the ending yourself. Although it's a beautiful ending, what's going to happen? Do you know? what happens next yeah. and that's what i liked about similar that film. to kiki's delivery service and mm, where the ending's yeah. a bit ambiguous although even more so in yeah. your name and also this is this is what i was kind of referring to when i talked about how the girl who leapt through time sort of over explains itself a bit whereas your name yeah. tells you only what you need to know to kind of go with the story and leaves so yeah. much more kind of up to your own interpretation imagination and that's so much more powerful i think as a, as a storytelling device to kind of just give the audience what they need and then let them Draw conclusions themselves. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It's it's, it's and a the level soundtrack. Ah, yeah. oh, the music is good. Radwimps, of course, one of your favorite Rad bands. Radwimps, <laughs> one of my favorite bands, like Mill and Colin. Yeah, like you know, I found out this week that Mill and Colin are actually Swedish. Oh, really? You should listen to them. Okay. Uh, that was your number two, and that was then yeah. for my number one. So now it's time yeah. to go to your number one. Oh, my number one. My number one, uh, yeah. My number one is very predictable. Okay. And I didn't want it to be my number one, but also it is my number one because I really, really love it. It's really, really special. I love the backstory of it. And it's Spirited Away. Okay. Yeah, no, that's or in, <laughs> Or in uh, Japanese, uh, Sento no... <clears throat> Chihiro mm-hmm. no Sento Chihiro no Kami ka Kushi. Yes. Uh, and it's a 2001 uh, Japanese uh, film uh, direct, written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki mm-hmm. for Studio Ghibli. Yep. And uh, it was going to be my number two because I thought, oh, you know, but I just, I just love Spirited Away. So it, Spirited Away... <laughs> nobody has seen it it's about uh this um girl that's moving from city to city uh she's really sad and during uh, the journey of her parents get lost and they arrive to this in this city uh the parents get distracted they eat a lot they become pigs and uh then night falls and this city becomes this um public bath for uh spirits yeah that could be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, it's about yeah, her and trying to kind of work out how to save her parents and yeah, kind of and escape the city. Exactly. Perfect. Uh, I love everything about this film. <laughs> so um, apparently, uh, what I read, Hayao Miyazaki wrote this film for uh, a few some girls that used to um, family friends. They used to uh, spend the summer with him. Yeah. And he wanted to make a film about uh, a, a heroine girl, which is also every, a lot, well, most of Ghibli movies is always a heroine. It was, it's never like, a, you know, Princess Mononoke, Harrietti, yeah. uh, Kiki, um, all of them. They are strong women yeah. and they're all the main characters. And she he wanted to make something that was 
for a, a, a girl, you know, like that a girl could look look up to. Mm. And so apparently he read lots of like shoujo manga, which is um, this uh, type of manga for young girls. And he thought they were all like not good enough role models. And so he tried to make a role model for these girls, which is really interesting that this man wants to make like a, mm. a, 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 a the heroine, a role model for the girls you yeah. know for the girls they spend every summer with and so he created uh this uh chihiro <clears throat> and uh and yeah <laughs> that's the story of the beginning and i think it's just it's just so beautiful the scenery the the music uh, the levels of the bathhouse, yeah. you know how uh, the, the, how it, it, the imagination just goes mm. uh, with with that film, and uh, uh, just the from the bottom where there's the guy, there's the the man that uh, makes the fire, to then the top uh, where there's the old lady Baba, or and I think it's just beautiful, and the imagination that Miyazaki has yeah. to create such a such a world and to make it and and one thing why i love ghibli movies and this one in particular is the fact that they show how the world and society is kind of corrupt and how uh we don't look after nature and how we um you know it shows human pollution you know if you ever seen pompoko it shows this destruction of uh, the raccoon's habitat and with this one, it shows, for example, No Face. <clears throat> he he's just full of rubbish and full of pollution because he he can't he just absorb anything that is near him, yeah. and then he becomes a monster in the end yeah. until Chihiro like liberates him, yeah. and that's kind of like the human uh, what the human condition yeah. we absorb everything and we become monsters. It's definitely and more complex that, um, and nuanced than the sort of normal good and bad that you'd find in animations. Yeah, yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, and the other, and the main guy, uh, Haku, uh, he doesn't remember who he is yeah. because he's he used to be the well, I can't really say it because then yeah, that yeah, yeah. spoils it. But he doesn't know really who he is because of what happened to where he used to live, yeah. and so it's just it, it can just be viewed as a children's film, but it can be viewed as such a social. Uh, so society like a piece of kind of social what how would you say how Me- how humanity is society, in a way I guess. Yeah, yeah thank you a metaphor for society and i really really like it and um uh, of course um joe he says she did the music for it so the music is absolutely amazing and um i i just love it and it's uh, is one of the actually is one of the last films I watched for uh, of uh, the Ghibli. Um, I watched it very late because I've got a weird condition. That if something is really popular, mm. I don't care for it. <laughs> so silly. I knew how spirit how I know I know I know, and I shouldn't, but I want to like it because I want to like it. So for the longest time, you know, uh, my neighbor Totoro was my favorite because. I don't know. It's just lovely, and yeah. then and then I watched this, and it's just it's just beautiful. It's just amazing. I think and, all I'd say um, about it is I love it as well for all the reasons you love it. Mm. Um, but I only wanted to put one Ghibli movie on my list because I kind of wanted to. I don't. Know, I only put one yeah. Ghibli movie on my list. Yeah. And the reason 
I put Kiki's livery service maybe over Spirited mm. Away would be there's a the the only thing in Spirit because I give Spirited Away five stars. I, I I love it. Yeah. The only point it sort of loses me very very slightly is mm. in the character of is it Haku? Haku, yeah. The guy, just mm. his story. I remember the first time I watched the film, I just didn't quite fully follow mm. why he's important to her and stuff. I don't know. He's he's the only t- element of the movie that doesn't completely work for me. Everything else, like everything else you've said, I 100% agree with, but that would be mm. the only reason why I would rank it below something like Kiki's mm. movie service, which I yeah. love, like every single aspect of. Um, mm. Spirited Away, almost, it's like one thing in the story. Because there's so many story threads in Spirited Away, it's a, quite a complex mm. film in a way. Yeah. That would be the one element that I've maybe just for me doesn't 100% work but I yeah. wouldn't like I wouldn't criticize it or put it down as a film I still think it's mm. amazing um yeah so yeah no, a, a good choice for number one thank you spirited away okay spirited so away. shall I run down my top five one more time yes okay so my top five international animated films are number five the girl who leapt through time number four Akira number three Kiki's delivery service number two my life as a courgette and number one, your name. How about you? My top fives are all Japanese. Number five, Harieti. Number four, Wolf Children. Number three, In This Corner of the World. Number two, Your Name. And number one, A Spirited Away. Lovely stuff. Do you have any honourable yeah. mentions this week, Alex? Yes. My honourable mentions are... <sighs> okay. Howl's Moving Castle. Okay. Summer Wars. Okay. Uh, when Marnie Was Here. Yep. Uh, Belle V. Rendezvous, which is actually a French animation and is really, really, really good. Is that the triplets of Belleville in yeah. English? Yeah. 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 And it's really, it's really, really good. I just, like I said before, I just, for me, like nothing will. Uh, My Neighbor Totoro, uh, Grave of the Fireflies, which is a film that if you haven't watched, you should watch. is amazing. I've watched it once or twice, and I can't watch it again because it's <laughs> heart-wrenching. Uh, yeah. And uh, Persepolis, which is another non-Japanese film, uh, which is about uh, the revolution in Iran. But it's Ooh. really, really, really good. If you haven't seen Persepolis, that's also really, really good. Persepolis a is film. a graphic novel adaptation as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I nearly put it, but I just, I just couldn't. Because like I was gonna put number five, like either uh, the Bell Bellevue Rendezvous or Persepolis, but I thought it was just for the sake of putting something that. But I, I, I like them. I don't love them. Fair enough. That's fair enough. Why is Japan so good at animation? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, is that all your honourable mentions? Yeah. Okay, so I've got Spirited Away, which we've discussed. Yeah. Princess mm. Mononoke, which is a gorgeous yeah. film. Mary and the yeah. Witch's Flower, which is a, a good Japanese oh. animation if you haven't seen it. Studio Panok. That's the guy that did Arietti and then oh, okay. moved. He uh, he opened a new studio to make new films. Ah, that's interesting. Uh-huh. Oh, Mary's in, that's what. He's not the one who felt like he couldn't do what he wanted to do at Ghibli, is he? Yes. Oh, Mary and the Witch's Fire feels if it, very much like a sort of a Ghibli film. But the yeah. animation is totally different, if you notice. Maybe not. Well, it, 
Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. It seems. But I feel. I feel like me. if you're under Hayao Miyazaki, I think you ca- you feel a little bit trapped. No, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. Yeah. Um, my neighbor Totoro, which I love, the Puta Castle in the Sky, which I think is <gasps> did really I see my neighbor Totoro? Well, yeah, I did. Okay. And Norse, <laughs> Norseka in the Valley of the Wind, which is yeah. um, the first Ghibli movie I ever watched, and gave me an impression of what Ghibli movies was going to be were going to be like that was completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. movie is not a typical Julie movie. Very mm. weird film. Um, and then, not honourable mentions because I haven't seen them, but I just wanted to list the films that I came across in my research for mm. non-Japanese international animated films. So if you're interested, these are apparently really worth watching. I'm going to try and watch them myself. Waltz with Bashir. Have you heard of that one? Ah, uh, yes, yes. Waltz with Bashir. Persepolis, which you mentioned. I Lost My Body, which is a Netflix animation, mm, uh, so it should yeah. be easily accessible by a lot of people. Triplets of Belleville, which you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic Planet, which is a French film, ah, yeah. and The mm-hmm. Illusionist. So I'm going to try and check yeah. out some of those uh, and expand yeah. my horizons a little bit. But um, yeah, there we go. Those honourable mentions. Only one thing left now, and that is homework assignments. Homework assignments! <laughs> so I'll start, because <laughs> I think mine's quite easy, because there's only one yeah. of mine that you haven't seen. My Life is a Courgette. I will watch My Life as a Courgette. Good. You might okay. have to search for My Life as a Zucchini, but you'll find it. Uh, okay, so oh, so you haven't watched Harrietti, Wolf Children, In This Corner of the World. Yeah. Um, That's it. I would like you to watch In This Corner of the World. Okay. It's just beautiful to watch. It's really worth it. Uh, but, oh, it's on Netflix. Mm, yeah, it is. Uh, oh, it's a long film, Alex. How long is it? It's two hours and nine minutes long. How is it that long? It's so good, though. Um, no, I'll watch that. I'll watch that. I'll watch In This Corner of the World. Yeah. I will watch that. Or you can watch Harrietti as well, if you fancy. If you fancy something that is But it's a bit like last lovely. week where, you know, you wanted to watch James and Giant Peach, but I made you watch a Um I want to watch Harrietti, and I will definitely get around to watching Harrietti. Yeah. Okay, you should watch In This Corner I'll, of the World. I probably wouldn't watch In This Corner of the World without M. Peters. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll watch it. Yeah. Fan. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Prepare there. your tissues, Mr. G. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do. Mm, for crying. Oh God. Um, for crying. <laughs> God. I so, don't know why that sounded so wrong. So. Thank you for joining us for another episode you. of Culture Bucket. It has been a pleasure to have you. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Culture Bucket. You can join the Bucket Squad at Culture Bucket Bucket Squad on Facebook. Uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter, all of those things. The links for all of those are on the description. And you can also find us on Letterboxd to see our lists uh, there as well of films. Next week, we are going to be listing our top five American TV series. Yes. yes, we've split it a little bit differently this time. Rather than like American, rather than like English language and then international, mm. uh, because American TV and British TV are so different. We're so going to do different. a week on American TV shows and yeah. then a week on British TV shows, and then we're also probably going to do foreign language TV shows as well. So we'll be we'll be entering the world of the the tube for the next couple of weeks. So please do join us. Yes. Yeah. Till next so time. Till next time. Have a good week. Bye.